0: This is former New York Jets defensive lineman Mike DeVito, and you're listening to Play Like a Jet.
1: From Joe Namath's Super Bowl Guarantee. I got news for you, buddy. We're going to win the game, I guarantee it to Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract holdout. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has not shown up at camp. Where are we with Fitz versus the Jets? And everything in between.
0: They froze. It appeared that Marino was going to try and stop the clock instead. He connected for the fourth time with Mark
1: Ingram.
2: And it is juggled.
1: This is Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at some of the best.
2: New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat them handily here today. And worse. Vince Wilford is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. Mark Sanchez not expecting it, and it was the backside of Brandon Moore to knock the ball
1: out moments in New York Jets history so get ready to hop in your DeLorean and take a trip back in time are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean for an in-depth look at the most memorable games seasons players and events in the history of gang green it's time to play like a jet
2: play like a jet what does that
1: mean with your hosts Scott Mason and Big John Sparapalos And welcome to Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at the biggest moments in New York Jets history. My name is Scott Mason alongside my tag team partner, the biggest, the baddest, the toughest man on the planet, or at least the toughest man to turn on the Jets digital, Mr. Big John Sparopoulos. What's going on, John?
0: Scotty, uh, doing pretty well. Finally, the calendar has turned to March, a little bit closer to some football news.
1: Yeah, we got free agency right around the corner, then the draft. It's been a month of nothingness, really. You've had a couple of things here and there. I know the Senior Bowl happened, and the Super Bowl dipped into the month of February, and a little bit of news here and there about franchise tags, transition tags, stuff like that, but the meat of the offseason begins shortly with free agency in a little over a week, so I'm excited for that. How about you, John?
0: Scotty, uh, it's a great time of the year to be a Jets fan when you got a uh, roughly $100 million to play with.
1: I wish I had $100 million to play with, and I don't mean for free agency. So if the Jets can't figure out a good way to spend that cash, feel free to call me. In fact, I'm even willing to take $1 million of the $100 million if it would make you feel any better.
0: Scotty, I'll, I'll take half of that right now.
1: Indeed, I'll tell you, if I could have one job right now, it would probably be Bryce Harper's agent, though. Wow, $330 million. tell you, you want to play football over baseball in a lot of circumstances because you get paid right away in football. But if you can make it big in baseball, that's the place to be. 13 years of guaranteed money. The NFLPA must be looking at that going, damn, what did we do wrong?
0: Yes, yeah, Scotty, it's funny. The uh, story the last few months, are the owners in baseball colluding against uh, the big free agents? And uh, both Manny Machado and Harper got their 10-year-plus deal, so I guess not.
1: If that's what collusion looks like, bring some collusion my way. I'd love somebody to collude against me and get me $300 million.
0: Scotty, uh, yeah, that's not too bad. Uh, I think uh, the Harper deal on an average annual basis is a little north of $25 million. And, Scotty, uh, what's funny, allegedly, I read on Twitter, when the Harper deal is done in 13 years, the Mets will still be paying Bobby Vanilla for four years after that.
1: <laughs> he could either get the lump sum or the lifetime payouts, and I guess the Mets ended up giving him the lifetime payouts. What a crazy situation that is. He gets paid till what, like 2045 or some insane thing like that?
0: Just about, and that's why, Scotty, if I was Kyler Murray, I would have played baseball.
1: Yeah, well, the good thing for Kyler Murray is there was no bad option. Football was going to get him paid more quicker. Baseball, he would have been able to walk upright when he's older, so I guess there's the trade-off there. But either way, he's going to be making a pile of money that I'm sure our guest this week, Wesley Walker, wishes that he would have made when he was playing. I talked to Wesley about this before we even started the interview, and he said he shakes his head at the amount of money these guys make now because I think the most he ever made in a season was $750,000. I'll bet he wishes that he had gotten one of those big, fat contracts these guys are getting now, right, John?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's uh, unfortunately when you were born— as far as how much you got paid in sports.
1: Probably would be a $15 million a year receiver these days. So unfortunately for Wesley, that end of it didn't work out, but he still had an outstanding 13-year career. We've been chronicling it over the last couple of weeks here on Play Like a Jet. So it's time to talk to Wesley for part five. What do you say, John? You ready?
0: Uh, Jeez, Scotty, I'd love to, but I'm actually on my way to the NFL Combine.
1: What are you doing going to the NFL Combine? Plus, also, it started Tuesday. Why are you going so late? Well, Scotty,
0: I heard there might be a uh, last-minute chance for me to get drafted this year. I am pushing the uh, wrong side of my age. But, hey, I thought I'd give it one more chance to run the 40. But all all kidding aside, Scotty, I've heard the uh, rumbles here a while, especially from our producer, Alan Schechter. He doesn't believe that I'm six foot two. 265 pounds so I'm off to the combine to get measured officially
1: wow that's a bold move right there trying to prove Alan wrong and by the way I'm also curious to see how you do in the cone drill and the 40 yard dash so tell you what I'm not going to get mad because out of sheer curiosity I'm really curious to see how this turns out you go ahead to the combine get your measurements do the workouts let me know the results and I'll go talk to Wesley Walker we'll meet back here afterwards how's that
0: Scotty, as always, sounds like a plan. Talk to you soon.
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Wesley, last week we started talking about the 1982 season and obviously got interrupted by the strike. But when you guys came back, you were red hot. In fact, you won five games in a row. And that includes a game against Detroit where you had five catches for 164 yards and three touchdowns. Freeman McNeil became one of the best rushers in the entire league, as you mentioned. He just was on another level. He finished 6-3, and three, but two of your losses are against Miami that year, and we're going to come back to that. You end up as the sixth seed on the road. And you mentioned the games that you played. You played first against the Bengals and then against the Raiders. And you won them both. And you had huge games in both of them. Eight catches for 145 yards and a touchdown against the Bengals. Seven catches for 169 yards and a touchdown against the Raiders. So before we get into what would come next, and it would involve the Dolphins, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of frustration that will be let out. But before we get to that, You said you were surprised by the success that you had in the strike-shortened season. But along with the surprise, you had to be thrilled, right? Especially considering how well you did personally in these playoff games, right? Absolutely.
2: And and it's funny, you you mentioned that Cincinnati game with the eight catches. And and it got overshadowed by Freeman McNeil. A lot of people don't know. (laughs) I, I know he had like... They gave him like two hundred yards, and they took away some yards or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I used to. Uh, but I used it, that even bothered me. i was like, uh, you know, I you you know, I don't even remember having that many catches. But I'm like, I wanted to say, hey, man, did you see how many catches and yards I had to? You know, <laughs> I, I had something to do with that. But it was all about Freeman McNeil. But I was a team player. I just wanted to win, and we were on a roll, and. I forget the, uh, God, um, the defensive back that I was going against. I remember he had a hamstring pull. I can't think of his name right now. And um, and we went right after him right from the bed on a bomb. We we connected, and he ended up pulling it, and he, and the, he had to leave the game. Uh, but we were just on a roll. We were running the running game, set up to play action, and we were just on all cylinders. And, uh, you know, we, we just had a – um, and we, had, we just had a good bond. I don't know what brought us really together during the time. And like I said, we weren't, to me, as close a team as I thought we should have been as a, as a family and whatnot. But it was just, hey, uh, we knew what we had to do, and we just clicked on the, the cylinders when it came to game time. And... uh Against the Raiders, it was the same way. I never thought that we'd be on that winning end like we did, and that's why it was so disheartening when we get to the championship game. But we were well balanced on a run and pass, and and that's what really, uh, as far as when we had success, when we could run and we could pass, that's when we had this success, and that's really what got us over the top. And when you could add some defense into the mix, and then it was even better.
1: So let's talk about the mud bowl. Unfortunately, we have to. You guys end up playing against the Dolphins in the AFC Championship game, and you're one game away from a Super Bowl appearance. You go to Miami. You'd lost to them twice that year, but you must have felt like you had a chance. And you go in there, and unfortunately, things don't go your way. Obviously, the conditions weather-wise were terrible with the mud and the rain. Richard Todd gets picked five times. You were double teamed all day long. Freeman McNeil couldn't really get going. On the other end of things, A.J. Dewey has one of the greatest playoff performances of all time with three interceptions.
2: And now, the number five playoff performance of all time. A.J. DeGround's the Jets in 1982. AJ Dewey. I had a really cool card of AJ Dewey that I liked until he did that to the Jets, and then that was that. The season is 1982,
0: and in the AFC Championship game, Dolphins linebacker A.J. Dewey played with his flowing locks on fire. Intercepted and that's trying to be a touchdown! AJ Dewey, what a big something crazy was happening to AJ Dewey that day. Our number five playoff performer was at his best
1: when the going got dirty. The mud ball. The field was an absolute quagmire. I've never seen a field like this. We ought to get a little boats out here or something, you know, paddling around. It's pretty bad. The Jets' advantage in that game was their speed on offense. And the Dolphins' defense completely thwarted them. And A.J. Dewey was a huge reason.
0: With their running game swung, the Jets were forced to pass. Leaving some to wonder about strategic groundskeeping.
1: Before there was Bill Belichick, there was Don Shula. And a lot of people like
0: to think that Don Shula planted that, like he went out there with a hose at midnight. Don Shula conveniently says, let's not cover the field because it never rains in Florida. Coach Walt Michaels,
2: I talked to him this morning, he's furious that there was no tarp on this field.
0: Fans cry, they didn't cover the field, they're too bad. It's football, you play outside. But our number five playoff performer's day defied the sloppy conditions. He was covered in mud and to end up with three picks. Intercepted by Dewey. It was really a remarkable performance. Here's this converted defensive end, now playing linebacker with two career interceptions. And then
2: he gets three in one game against poor Richard Todd. But it's Miami with a focus Pasadena, 14-0. The Dolphins have won the championship. I was just fortunate today that uh, the ball was thrown my way a couple times. He took that game by the throat. Intercepted by Dewey. Intercepted
0: again. That, the one he, he intercepts for the touchdown, I mean, he elevates off of mud. I'm not even sure how that's possible. Intercepted by Dewey. Dewey
2: just becoming the face of that misery for a gangrene nation. Uh, he has a place
1: on like the Mount Rushmore of sadness. You lose it 14 nothing. so tell me about your memories of this game, obviously how frustrating it was, but also there were terrible conditions, and there's been all kinds of debate over the years as to whether or not Don Shula basically allowed this to happen on purpose because he felt like it would help his team because it would mitigate Freeman's shiftiness, I guess, and your speed. Do you feel like that's what happened?
2: Oh, I know that happened, um, but <laughs> I didn't realize we got beat twice that year by them. Mm-hmm. And and that that's the shocking part because, and maybe just blot out these memories because my memories always that we always had success against them, and I remember we had our losses too. But I always felt like we had good success. But then if they beat us twice, then they had to feel like they were the better team, and I always thought we were the better team. But I remember vividly, because I would always wake up trying to see what the weather is like. You know, for me, I'm a receiver, You know, I'm going to come off the bus throwing. When I got up and I looked out my window and it was a monsoon, I'm like, oh, my God. This is like my worst nightmare. Joe Walton's going to call the game, you know, because I'm like, I don't care if it's rain or shine. we We have to throw the ball, but that just won't happen. That just changes the dimensions of everything. And the way, um, uh, Miami plays their defense, that just made it uh, just much easier. And they could run what we call cover six at the time, where they just doubly the up, where they have the corners up, uh, the safeties deep, and to keep you from, uh, the passing game. So your underneath game has to work, or you have to have a good running game. And there was rumors whether they flooded the field, which if, uh, if they did, that would have been smart on Don Shula's part because I certainly would have done that to try to stop our special skill positions. And I still remember us recovering a fumble in their own end zone. They gave it back to uh, Miami, and I thought that would have been a turning point because I always felt it was going to be a game of um, like turnovers when you're dealing with weather. And I was really bummed out because I caught one pass towards the end of the game, this little short hitch pattern. And I was just just mortified. But what makes it more disheartening, you mentioned uh, we were one game from the Super Bowl. You had to make plans as if you were going to the Super Bowl. So that means your family and tickets and, you know, trying to make arrangements like you were going to the Super Bowl. And then the game's over and you lose and it's over and it just broke your heart. And then uh, what even broke my heart even more, we come within that one game, and then we lose Walt Michaels on top of So that's that's the thing I remember. But I, it's funny that I remember that we got beat by Miami twice that year, so they had to go in the game feeling good that they couldn't beat us anyway despite the rain or whatever. But we just felt we had the skill position if it would have been um, uh, the right conditions. But in the NFL, when you play this game, you can't make excuses rain or shine, you have to produce, and that's what separates the good teams from the, the bad teams. You, re, you win regardless or you perform, You can't make excuses, and you have to put the hammer down, and the Jets are notorious for not being able to do that when it counts. And uh, and unfortunately, it's happening right now. <laughs> so hopefully uh, uh, the Jets will get to where they need to be. It's just that I can never get to where I want to be cuz you don't get any do-overs and it's unfortunate. And that's one thing I guess as a youngster you learn uh you you have to not that we didn't give 100% but you just don't know you might not be able to get there cuz in the back of your mind you know you you you're, you're going to play this game but you just don't think about how hard and difficult it is to get there. And that's what people don't understand and that's where as a coach that's what you really got to Solidify it and get it ingrained in these kids' minds. You just don't know when you're going to get there. So take advantage, seize that moment. And I think about those moments. How did we let that slip away like that? But hey, you got to give credit to the other team. And that's what happens. And you got to be able to play. And that's where that team thing comes in. A lot of letdowns on, on all levels by different players. We just couldn't get it done as a team. And that's a shame that it happened that way. But somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. Unfortunately, we took the loss count it
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I would imagine, though, that as disappointing as it was to lose that game, you stayed healthy for the strike-shortened season for the most part and went to the Pro Bowl, and the team went to the AFC Championship. You had to be super fired up and optimistic going into 1983,
2: right? Well, uh, every year. I can't say there was one year that we didn't go and optimistic. Hey, when you when you start the season... You're healthy unless you you go in and things are not really right. I think there's only been one year where I felt things weren't right, and that was my last year in 89. I couldn't even bend over to touch my toes. But you always think you have a shot. You go in with this renewed envision of not only you're looking for success yourself but for the team itself. And if the team doesn't have it, then you're going to try to be the best at what you can be, and that's the only thing you have is that if, if my team doesn't make it, but at least I'm going to perform at a high level and hopefully make it to the Pro Bowl, you know, and that's what your goal is every year. But your goal every year should be ultimately to get to the Super Bowl and then produce and be the best that you can. But unfortunately, this game is just so tough, and it gets tough and tougher every year. And uh, I wish I could go. I really wish I could do it over again. Uh, and, and knowing what I do know, I just don't know what the outcome would be. I wonder and with the, and I wish everybody would could have that opportunity knowing what they know now could it be different with the same people, same draft, same other name, but you know what it takes to get it done to, to see what the outcome would be. I always wondered that. In
1: 1983 had a lot of interesting storylines, but the biggest one at least to start the season was after 1982 you guys go to the AFC Championship, which was the furthest the team had gone since the Super Bowl win in 1969. Walt Michaels, citing burnout, resigns as the head coach. Now, Joe Walton, who is the offensive coordinator, we talked about him before. He had taken over as the coordinator of 81. He's named the new head coach. So let's go through this and unpack it. Walt Michaels resigns or was fired or whatever it is the story is. And I wanted to get your take on this because you were there. What do you remember about that? What were the players talking about? What did you maybe hear was going on behind the scenes? And what was everyone's thoughts on Walton taking over at the time? Did you guys think it was the right move? Maybe they should have gone in a different direction. So talk to me about Michaels and then talk to me about Walton.
2: Well, number one, we were definitely shocked. At least I was when I got the call. Uh, then when I heard to find out what was going on, because I couldn't understand. We, we We just came within one game uh I know there was a lot of uh rift supposedly with Richard Todd didn't take the, the plane back with us and cuz he had friends on the on Miami's team and uh and after he threw those five minutes seven, cuz they, they, he had those guys uh as team you know not only as teammates but as friendships they had but uh they thought uh maybe you know, there was something going on why he didn't come back with us and the fact that he threw the the interceptions and he knew he had a relationship with those guys down there. That was the thing. And then uh, supposedly there was a rift between the president, which is President um, uh, Kinzel and Walt Michaels, and I guess he didn't have uh, uh, some kind words to say to the ownership, and, um, and Walton couldn't be... I mean, Walt Michaels could be very abrasive and, uh, you know, I don't know if alcohol was involved because, you know, know, everybody was probably drinking and not very happy and you say certain things you probably shouldn't have said, but that is one of the things that I don't even know what had taken place with Walt Michaels at management, how that whole thing went down. And some people said he was linked to, like, you can see, he, 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 in his day, you know, playing, he had a lot of injuries, and supposedly he was taking painkillers or drinking. Or, uh, I don't know that to be true. And I, I know at one time of practice, uh, you know, he, he was – I knew he had been drinking or something. It wasn't uh, – he, uh, he was kind of inebriated, but there were some players on our team that had come to practice inebriated too, you know. Uh, but I do not know to this day what had happened. Uh, Walt, the uh, Joe Walton, when he got there, I remember. I used to love his speeches. I used to love him talking, firing you up, and he was a great coordinator. Uh, but I felt when he became the head coach, he tried to control everything. Uh, Richie Kotite had the title of coordinator, but he never called a play. Uh, the, he, Richie would go over personnel and the game plan, but Walton did everything, but he tried to control the front office, the secretary, just everything, and changed as a person, and he lost that uh, that locker room and that ability he had to motivate players like he used to do as a coordinator, and it got to a point where I didn't even want to listen to him anymore. And how he got the job and how things that take me, here these different things, and but to this day, I don't know how that happened with him moving up and what they thought was right or, or wrong. And there was a lot of dissension there, I know, in animosity, but I had no problems of Joe Walton becoming head coach. But when he became head coach, he was like a different person. And I remember my last year in 89, We, I remember him talking to Al Toon. We're sitting right next to each other, and he didn't say a word to me, and I didn't say a word to him. And everything was really rocky back and forth and My relationship just really deteriorated. I know Greg Buttle hated the guy and to this day. I don't think we'd talk to him. He has probably a different version or a different reason for that. Uh, I just didn't like the way he handled our team, and he just kind of turned on everybody, and uh, it was ridiculous. And uh, it certainly didn't help um, when we did go on strike because there was a lot of splitting going on with the team, and that certainly didn't help us. And uh, I know Walton called out a bunch of players on the team, but we just had uh, so many different issues, not only coaching, but players and things that were going on. And when you have players that don't even like each other, that that that, that doesn't do well. But there were just so many different things, but it was just shocking. We came within one game of the Super Bowl, and we're in disarray.
0: This is the
1: Overtime Podcast Network. One thing that maybe would help you guys come out of disarray in the long term was the arrival of a new quarterback. You mentioned him before. He wasn't going to start this season. Richard Todd would still be the quarterback, but in the first round of the draft, there was some buzz about the Jets maybe going quarterback and taking a quarterback named Dan Marino out of Pittsburgh, but they didn't. They surprised everybody by picking another California kid to go along with Ewan Freeman McNeil, And that guy was Kenny O'Brien out of Cal Davis, not the Cal that you went to, Cal Berkeley. I don't want
0: a
2: quarterback. I want Reno. So we await the Jets, and as you might imagine, as is usually the case, the fans upstairs are starting to get into this one as the Jets will
0: get their first pick. Let's take a look upstairs. They know
2: who they want. Here's the Jets selection New
1: York Jets. Jets take the first round selection. Quarterback? Ken O'Brien, California Davis.
2: Everybody said if Marino was gonna be around at that time, they take Marino. Obviously the Jets know something that you know the people up here don't. What yeah. do you
1: remember thinking when O'Brien was picked? Did you know anything about him?
2: I didn't know a thing about him, and it didn't bother me either way. And I remember if you watch the story on uh, the draft, and, and you know, I know it was a big thing about Dan Marino slipping all the way down, because there was that big class with Elway and all the top quarterbacks, but it never bothered me, because, you know, hey, you know, who knows who can play, you know, you just don't know, uh, and uh, you give it, uh, people a chance, and uh, uh, I remember uh, always seeing the clips of, when they call out his name, and and during the draft and people booing and not knowing who this guy is and everything else. <laughs> and to this day, uh, there's a lot of people that do not give Kenny O'Brien the credit he really deserves. And if you look at the, the stats you put up there, Hey, they're pretty damn good for the opportunities that he did get. And I'll, I would put him up against anybody. And I, I remember him, uh, in the superstars competition against Marino, Elway, and he beat them all, you know. So I look at things like that, and I look at the personality. I look at the temperament and just the, the abilities that he had. You know, he was slow foot, but that guy took a pounding, but gets back up and never complained, but just a hell of a person. And that's what I look at more than anything. Forget the accolades on what he did on the football field. Just a classy, classy gentleman, and uh, I always respected him uh, because
1: of that. So you guys start off one and two that season. Freeman McNeil gets hurt, and things start to kind of spiral a little bit. Freeman McNeil was the leading rusher in the league the previous season. When he gets hurt, was that something that you felt like took a lot of the wind out of the team's sails?
2: Well, I you know you'd have to ask every individual player uh, to see what their thoughts are because we are taught as players individuals that. No matter what happens or no matter what circumstances, you just have to adjust to that and, like, it's the next man up, and you don't want to be like that. Certainly, Freeman McNeil, and when you talk about Freeman, I just spoke to him today. He's just one of my dear friends. He just had a uncanny knack of reading holes, one of the best athletes that I've ever seen, and you just marvel at what the things and his abilities could do, But then when you you have guys that would fill in for them, for instance, like a Johnny Hector, who brings another element to the table, which I would feel confident in them. And you would hate to say to your team, hey, it's the next man up, and you forget about them. But that's just the way the business operates. Uh, Certainly, it's a blow, but uh, the mentality, and, and I think if you spoke to every player, hey, you can't worry about, what happens with other people you take care of your job and that's just a part of the business and injuries happen and things happen you have to do your job and you have to move on and you can't think about those things unfortunately that's the way the business operates and you hate to see that but as an athlete uh, things happen you don't do well you drop a pass or you fumble or mistakes happens you have to keep coming back and do your job and so Injuries are part of the game. You lose a certain elite players sometimes, and the players that have to take uh, uh, or at least come up to uh, replace those players have to take up the, the forefront and uh, replace them, and hopefully they can do that job. Unfortunately, sometimes that cannot happen. It's hard to replace those caliber athletes.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: 83, we talked about Ken O'Brien getting drafted Now Richard Todd is reverting back to his pre-1981 form. He's throwing a lot of interceptions. He's underthrowing a ton of passes specifically to you. He wasn't able to reach you. Pat Ryan had replaced him at one point. Was this one of those things where you felt like you were watching the downward spiral of Richard Todd and now you knew it was only a matter of time before the young Ken O'Brien was coming in to take the reins? Because at this point, Dan Marino, who had been picked behind Ken O'Brien, was already starting for the Dolphins.
2: I've never, ever felt that way. If you look at uh, and if you really studied quarterbacks and and with the New York Jets, and as far as I'm concerned as a receiver, there were times that Richard Todd would complete passes to me and times he would miss. I can say that about Kenny O'Brien too. I can be wide open, running free, and we just didn't connect. And I still remember holding out and the coaches trying to Pressure me to come back, and and they try to blame it on, on, um, okay, you held out and the timing wasn't there. But when you're wide open, the quarterback has to get it there. And You can talk about timing, whether it happens. uh, I I don't know how to explain it, but sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Uh, It's not a matter of timing. It's just that you have to get the job done. If I'm wide open, you have to stick it in there. And I can – if I – over my career, whether it's in college, high school, in the pros, every quarterback has missed me when I've been wide right open that's just the way it is, and that's happened over this weekend, just watching n f l football and and heaven forbid I might have dropped a wide open pass that I should have caught, and that that stuff happens, but you have to come back and be able to uh, repeat those things and then hopefully connect and do it in a positive way where it's beneficial to your team.
1: In 81 and 82, you guys went to the playoffs. 83, a little bit different. You got off to that rough start. Freeman missed a lot of time. You finished the season seven and nine. You were seven and seven at one point toward the end, and you had a chance to win out and make the playoffs. But spiraled out and finished 7-9. and nine. After 81 when you guys seemed on the cusp and then 82 when you went to the AFC Championship game, how disappointing was it to end the season this way?
2: Oh, definitely. Anytime you have a losing season, I wasn't used to that. And I shouldn't say I wasn't used to that because uh, I we had one winning season that we went to. Uh, we tied for a championship in college. And I wasn't used to losing because when I was in high school, I never lost a game. It wasn't until I went to college. It was up and down, injuries, and I kind of relate that to my career in the pros, sort of the same thing, up and down and having the injuries, and that's just part of the game. Uh, but when you have high expectations and when you kind of gotten there to the top or when you can kind of get to the pinnacle or when you were just there, uh, and especially when you mentioned 82-83, and 82, when you have to actually make plans, and it was a strike-shortened season, when you have to make plans to actually go to the Super Bowl. And that's the, the, what people don't understand, uh, the plans that go into before anything even happens. And I used to be so pissed having to work out during or train or practice during Christmas, a New Year's, everybody's celebrating Thanksgiving and we have to practice and you lose the flavor of your family. It's a different environment and this is a business and and life is just more to that. And as an athlete, you lose that part of it where you say, God, I'm not even, I'm not even exposed to my own family life anymore because it's more to what we have to do as a business playing this game. And sometimes that can be very depressing and that you have to Set your mindset in a different realm, and so you put forth this effort and this time, and you know especially, when you think you're going to get to the Super Bowl and you have to plan beforehand, and then all of a sudden it's just like being in playoffs, one game, if you don't win, you're out of it, and you just say to yourself, "Oh my God, and what I learn is like uh, you never might get this opportunity." And I think as young players, you don't understand that, and that's the one thing that I would tell athletes uh, today coming in. Look, you have to give it your all. You have to prepare yourself as hard as you can, be the best shape you can. You don't know where you're going to get to this point ever again. You think about all the players that played this game, and I, and I relate that to Brandon Marshall, who was a stellar, stellar athlete who's never been to a playoff. You just don't know when you're going to get that opportunity, and I think as young players, that's what you really don't realize, and maybe you put forth the emphasis, but it's just so hard as a coach, as a player, putting everything together to try to win. I can't even imagine what the New York Giants are going through right now when they're projected to maybe have a, a great season getting to the Super Bowl and and the jets were supposed to lose every game and it's just the opposite and that's what the NFL brings to the table you just never know that's why you have to put forth emphasis in the that this may be your last ever chance that's the one thing I've learned I wish I had that knowledge but you don't know until you go through that experience
0: this is the overtime podcast network <laughs>
1: There's part five of our in-depth discussion with New York Jets legend number 85 wide receiver Wesley Walker. Just incredible how open he's been about what happened throughout his life and career. So glad that he was willing to come on the show and talk about everything throughout his long journey in the NFL. John, a journey that you never got to take. But it doesn't mean you didn't get a chance to participate at the NFL Draft Combine, which a lot of people never get a chance to do. This year you got your invite, apparently not so much to get drafted, but because you wanted to make a point of proving Alan Schechter, our producer, wrong when he said that you were a fraud at six foot two, 265. He said there's no way you're that big and bad. How did the measurements go? How was the Combine?
0: Scotty, overall the Combine was relatively successful. Unfortunately, I didn't get to participate in any drills as I tore my hamstrings just watching people run the 40.
1: (laughs) That sounds about right. What were the measurements, though?
0: Scotty, I came in at uh, 6'2", one-eighth and 267 pounds.
1: So there you go, Alan. As Shawn Michaels and Triple H would have said, suck it. The big man is even bigger than we thought, so no doubt about it anymore. The biggest, the baddest, the roughest, the toughest, Big John Sparopoulos.
0: Scotty, that's right. Uh, Perhaps I should have warmed up and stretched before watching people run the 40.
1: That's usually good practice, John, and if you ever go to the combine again, I recommend doing that.
0: Perhaps next time I'll try to kick some field goals instead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we know how well that went when you were trying out for the Giants kicking job back in 2017, right?
0: Oh, geez, I have a lot of failures on this show, Scotty. A lot of failures.
1: Can't succeed if you don't fail a bunch of times first, right?
0: Scotty, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take.
1: This is very true, and you've got to build up and become successful no matter what you do in life. It's not going to happen overnight unless you're a super lucky or genetically gifted person, maybe I guess like Bryce Harper who we were talking about before. This show in particular started from nothing has become a fairly successful show, and it's all because of you, so thank you so much for that. A lot of that is because you were willing to go to iTunes and leave us five-star reviews. It means so much when you do that, and if you haven't, please do it. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that to Your reviews and your subscriptions help us so much. It really allows us to get more visibility in the Jets podcast marketplace. And then from there, we're able to use that to get great guests and continue to bring you the type of content that you're used to here on Play Like a Jet. So thank you so much for that. And also thank you for supporting our producer, Alan Schechter, despite the fact that he had the nerve to be skeptical of Big John Sparopoulos and his true size. Alan does a great job on this show, booking guests, helping with the research, coming up with ideas for different topics. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be able to do what we do, especially this series with Wesley Walker. He did a lot of the research and he was the one that reached out to Wesley Walker and was able to get him to come on the show. So you should support Alan in general on Twitter at Allen underscore Schechter, but also his great work over at com, where he is the editor. John, I know that despite his questions of your size, you are a regular visitor of Alan's website, empirerightsback.com, right?
0: I sure am, absolutely, especially this time of year, because I want to know uh, what the baseball season's doing back home.
1: Oh, yeah, lots of baseball news going on. People losing their minds because a recent Yankee Spring training game wasn't on TV As much as I love baseball, I can't imagine getting upset about that. But then again, some people are a little bit different. There are people that would say, how could you care at all about the NFL Draft Combine? Different strokes for different folks, right, John?
0: Oh, absolutely. Or why would you go get measured at the Combine when you could have went to a doctor?
1: Yes, that's also true. That's a fair point right there. But then if you had gone to a doctor instead, wouldn't have been anywhere near as much fun on a podcast, would it?
0: Scotty, absolutely. That's why I do what I do.
1: And you do it so well, just as we do it so well on this show in general, going back in time and looking at the biggest moments in New York Jets history. We're going to have part six with Wesley Walker coming up next. Aren't you excited about that, Bart Scott? Can't wait! Bart, this is your time to shine. Can't wait to hear what you think of what the Jets do in free agency. After free agency in the draft, things are going to get a little rough for you for a while. We're going to have to hear you talk about playoff basketball and baseball, two areas where you're kind of out of your depth. But for now... You are very much in your element, and I'm looking forward to hearing your takes on what the Jets do over the next couple of months. That's going to do it for us this week. My name is Scott Mason. My tag team partner is Bing John Sparopoulos. And, John, I believe you know there's only one way that we can end this show.
0: Scotty, absolutely. A pleasure as always. And to the NFL, uh, I am keeping the combine draft apparel that you gave me, brick Break it down. One, two, three! In the hole of the jet!